1: Over Under Movies and all the playlist podcasts are sponsored by MUBI, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. MUBI's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Plans start as low as five ninety nine a month. Visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial Movie's current highlights include a couple of exclusive titles, which includes the documentary Tony Conrad, Completely in the Present, and Bertrand Bonello's Sarah Winchester, Phantom Opera. But also, movie first major theatrical release, The Happiest Day in the Life of Ali Maquis, will open in New York and LA on Friday, April 21st. Shot in stunning black and white 16mm, this finished film won the Uncertain Regard at the Cannes Film Festival last year. It's great to see that in addition to the fantastic curation that movie is providing, that they're also getting into the film distribution realm as well. Once again, visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. Now, on to the show. Over the line!
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, uh, the podcast where we pick one overrated and one underrated movie. That fits into the same genre, style, tone, or uh, however we may see fit. This is Oktay Ege Kozak. I'm
1: Ryan Oliver. And I'm Andy Crump.
0: Yeah, as you can hear, we have uh, Andy back with us uh, since the last episode. Uh, he was our guest, and then um, thankfully we had uh, we were talking about this episode's picks, and he was interested, and we could get the schedule scheduling together, and uh, yeah, he could he could join us again for this episode. So thank you so much for joining us, Andy. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah, so uh, this episode uh, basically, as far as I'm concerned, could also be titled um, How in the Hell Does a, a, a Movie That Was Made in 1987 Look a Hell of a Lot Less Dated Than a Movie Made in 1996? <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> apart from that uh, connective tissue, we are talking uh, our Western vampire movies that are also kind of mixed with uh gritty crime drama uh there are a lot of connect connections between the two films that we'll be talking about and these are ryan's picks and uh his underrated film is uh catherine bigelow's first solo feature near dark and ryan's uh overrated pick is the um the Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez uh, collaboration from 1996. The famous genre switchery movie from that era. Uh, that was the big deal about it when it came out. And that is uh, from Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> what the fuck is that about? You singled
2: the ranger. I it! believe me i did it when they were
1: talking
0: he mouthed the words help us
1: you fucking liar i didn't say you Ah! Ah! you stop it what the fuck is your problem god damn it seth he did it you were by the beer cooler with your back turned i was by the magazines i could see his face and i saw him mouth the words
0: so let's hand this off to Ryan. Um, Ryan, uh, let's start off with Dustle down Just um, why did you pick it as overrated? Well, it's also it's safe to say that
1: both of these movies are are cult movies essentially. Like both of them aren't like the most successful financially uh, films, and and Near Dark even has more critical acclaim and has been uh, looked upon. Uh, with greater fondness uh, since since it came out than from Dust Till Dawn, but I think from Dust Till Dawn, certainly more people have seen it, and it has a lot of fans. And I and I think for me, you brought up a good point uh, to start, and I I think I want to launch off there is the the genre switcheroo to which this movie is is most famous for, and I I really think you know once you know that that twist is coming. I don't think there's a lot left to really savor or enjoy with this movie. And and to be honest, I've never really enjoyed this movie from the start. Um, I think that when Robert Rodriguez tries to do Quentin Tarantino, and granted, Quentin Tarantino did write the screenplay, it doesn't work. Like, Robert Rodriguez understands B-movie schlock. Like, you could point to Planet mm-hmm. Terror, you could point to Machete. Like, he knows how to make a goofy perfectly balanced b-movie now i think the biggest problems with from dust all dawn for me sadly uh begin and end with quentin tarantino on two fronts uh number one the script which is uh for me easily his worst screenplay and Mm -hmm. um to me the problem with it is that like he he can't he, he enjoys his B-movie exploitation movies and like he's really good at like the B-movie splatter in his films but I hate to stroke his already enormous ego but he's too good for these kind of movies like he, he can't let go of the certain like level of quality and the level of you know spin he puts on his dialogue when it comes to these movies, and so like you watch from Dust till dawn. You watch that first half that that is like a crime movie that it's a, a killers on the run or a criminals on the run movie, and it's like they're they're holding themselves with the the bravado and like the dick swinging swagger that t- Quentin Tarantino characters usually have, but there's nothing particularly clever or like really fun about the interplay or any of the dialogue,
0: especially but, the dialogue. Yeah, especially
1: the dialogue. The characters. Yeah, and the characters aren't well-developed. I mean, I think there are good performances. I think George Clooney uh, is really good against type here. I think once you get into the thick of it, I think uh, Tom Savini and Fred Williamson are my MVPs for this movie, if I had to yeah. pick. But oh, yeah. I, I think yep. for me, um, it's it's just... I, I think that Tarantino just can't quite... He can't quite let himself dive into like the B-movie realm. So mm-hmm. there's like an A-level quality to that writing but but not quite but not enough so you like you don't really care about anything that happens so when the movie does switch and kind of goes full evil dead in that last leg it's like yeah there's there is some fun to be had there's some good practical effects um, you, you don't know, you can... don't necessarily care what happens to the character. No, you it's, don't. It's
0: about the the schlock um, showcase.
1: Yeah, and I think for me the other thing too, that I just want to mention before I lean it off to you. I think uh, you see you see a passion project that got like somehow strong armed into being a vanity project. You know, because this was Robert Kurtzman's idea. Um, it was his story. Uh, he did the ear slicing scene from Reservoir Dogs. He did that special effect for that movie, and so. Uh, Quentin Tarantino wrote the screenplay based on his idea as a favor, but then it just, I, I i envision him but then why make it i just envision him by his pool writing like you know he's writing these characters and like he's clearly writing the one character for himself but it's like it feels mm-hmm. so gross because he's just like serial rapist and killer and uh i really think he just wanted to drink whiskey off some Hayek's foot yes like, I, <laughs> I
0: was gonna ju- i was just about to bring that up i was just about to bring up that he wrote himself in the role just to have that one scene where salma Hayek. because because why does she why does that like that alluring, incredibly sensual sexual being just goes up and like picks the, the one like goofy looking dude with the melon head to like stick her feet into, you know, that's, that's all, it's all like, you know, this is the, this is the type of like uh, Tarantino's narcissistic side about like, especially, I think, I think the second issue that you were going to bring up with Tarantino, I'm going to kind of predict that you were going to bring up his acting. Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I have, I have zero tolerance for his acting. Like even, you know, yeah. I could can, I can tolerate and I can tolerate it in Reservoir Dogs. I can Tolerate it in Pulp Fiction. Like those movies are just good enough. Like I mean, they're 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 so good that and he's not in them enough to where it doesn't like really. You're like, ah, God, your voice is nasally and annoying. But I'll, I can put up with it. Because... Even a little
0: can be really annoying. I mean, he almost brings down Django Unchained just. <laughs> not a terrible in a, Australian accent. Minutes, yeah, Australian <laughs> but accent. but
1: he's in this movie for most of the movie until like you know, he's yeah. in it until the genre switcheroo and he's just so bad. Unfortunately Clooney does a lot of the heavy lifting to counterbalance it, but it just like it's a performance that it's always just bugged me, and I know that he wrote it for himself, and it just it, it just screams vanity project, and it, it isn't. Until... Yeah, I
0: mean, look, look look at look at when it was made. It was made at the height of his like he couldn't do anything wrong. He was at the it was the height of the Tarantino hype, mm-hmm. and Desperado had just come out too. So like it's 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 that it, it's weird. It's and that he had movie that, he that... Had annoying part in Desperado too. But like you said, that was also like three four minutes, so right. it wasn't it's, it's... that.
1: Video. And before I, you know, I guess pass it up, because I know Andy's been quiet and I feel like I'm shouting over you guys, so I'll hand it over here in, <laughs> in just a second. But the the other thing I wanted to mention is, like, even though, yeah, it's hot off Pulp Fiction, it's hot off Desperado, it, it's still, it feels, despite having those guys, it feels like one of the knockoff movies that came out Yes. Um, in the wake yes. of their movies. And they're the It ones... looks like
0: one of those Tarantino clones where, like, the script feels like many of those, like, you know, things to do in when, when you're dead or whatever. Like, there was Clay mm-hmm. Pigeons. There were so many movies Suicide that Pins. tried to ape that style. Yeah, yeah exactly. That tried to ape that style. And it looks more like, like, the writing, the kind of, the straining, the strenuous dialogue of, like, how can we, like, make these characters the, the ultimate, like badass beyond like uh 70s exploitation throwback and it just feels like that kind of desperate tarantino clone even though it was written by tarantino and it's just that that was weird especially watching it this time around but yeah let me um get through like uh just very quickly um what i think about it this time around because i hadn't hadn't seen this since maybe like 99 or 2000 it's been a long time oh wow and yeah this movie didn't age well at all like I was a fan of it because of how like goofy and fun I thought it was and in a way like around the time when it came out I was like almost um defending it over even like Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs not to say that I thought they were better but there was a part of me that always felt like yeah Tarantino should just embrace his his uh kind of exploitation uh fandom background and just make silly movies like that and I thought that was like a good use of his um approach but now that i look at it it's almost like and especially with the hindsight of uh the grindhouse project having come and gone uh when you compare it to grindhouse it's almost from down is down is almost like a reverse grind like test for grindhouse like it starts with uh death proof and then it ends with planet terror oh in this one yeah and, yeah I see what you're yeah in this one yeah like from dustle down and it's like um and i think that's the biggest problem with grindhouse was tarantino's section it was death proof because well if if you split the movies in two and have it be like a separate experience yeah maybe death proof is a is a subjectively better film than planet terror but the whole point of Grindhouse was to have that whole like slimy schlocky grindhouse experience and that whole energy like even you know when you factor in Planet Terror and the fake trailers and the goofiness, like, inherent goofiness and all that of people, of all these people basically, like, kind of leaving their egos aside just to have, like, bit of fun. That all comes to a screeching halt when um, Death Proof begins, in my opinion. And that's kind of, like, the same case here on From Dusk Till Dawn, is that it does have that, like, kind of strenuous, almost, like, Tarantino knockoff feel to it when maybe the focus should have been... On the like the evil dead early Peter Jackson vibe uh, that the film gets in the second half. but um, yeah, it's the the writing is it it annoys me at many points, especially a lot of George Clooney's dialogue that I used to think was like cool and badass now just comes across as just lame and lazy. Uh, he basically that character, do you guys remember this movie, um Mystery Men from like two thousand yeah, yeah. serious. <laughs> no, not Mr. Furious, but like the, the way that he talks, it sounds like um, there was like this guru type character in Mystery Man who always gave advice and his advice was always like, yeah. if you want to conquer your fear, you have to fear your conqueror or something like he always just just switch things. And George Clooney, Clooney's character is like, in order to like make his character much more badass, he just like repeats the same line twice it's like, hey, vampire killers, let's go kill some vampires. It's just like filled with these kind of um, lazy, you know, wanna be like, let's make this character as badass as possible kind of lines, and just like it just really grated me this time around. The effects don't hold up at all, like these like Michael Jackson 1991 black and white music video uh, morphing effects of the vampires. The practical effects are fine, but you know, compared to a lot of other stuff, that did that kind of like extreme gore like even way before from till Dawn, like uh Brain dead or uh as you Yanks know it as I think Dead Alive, the Peter Jackson movie. Or Evil Dead uh, or
1: Texas Chainsaw Massacre Or Evil Part Dead
0: 2. or even fucking Bad Taste, which had like a zero budget and had some like really cool stuff in there too. So I don't know, all that stuff kinda bothered me. I still had fun with it, but um yeah, I couldn't really like. It, this was definitely one of those experiences where I was just like, you know, like a movie where you're in your teens or when you're in like college years that you thought was like super cool, and you revisit it, and then you hope that it holds up. And this is one of those that like really didn't hold up for me. Uh, so, Andy, what's your um, what's your background with, with from Dustle Dawn? Had you seen it recently, and when you when you caught up to it now, like what are your thoughts? Well, well, for, first
2: of all, I, I want to read the first few words of like the plot spoiler for this on on wikipedia fugitive bank robbers and brothers seth and richie gecko the thing that gets me about that is the word brothers because like you cannot sell me on quentin tarantino and george clooney being related in any way shape or form (laughs) like just just that's that's ignorant. Just don't do that. I I remember watching this movie um, on Friday nights when I was, you know, when I was a kid, like middle school, high school, you know, my older brother and I every Friday night was like Pizza and I watched the X-Files, watch some random movie from our rotation of movies. We'd watch, you know, like Army of Darkness, we'd watch Braveheart, we would watch From Dust Till Dawn. Like these these are movies that we would just watch all the time. I, I was actually kind of excited to go back to From Dust Till Dawn. Because I don't think I've really watched it in probably you know fifteen or so years, and just listening to the two of you guys talk about it, there there are at least twenty different places I I, I could have I wanted to jump in um, because it just it doesn't hold up. You you watch you watch that first that first like half or so where it is a you know like a, a really grim uh, crime movie like a really violent and now what we would think of as tarantino Tarantino's crime movie. And then it turns into like a vampire zombie siege movie. And these mm-hmm. two parts just kind of clang together. Well They're very what...
0: campy too. Like the, the vampire campy. part of it is a straight up parody.
2: Yeah. Like I, I really like I really want to be like I think I'm into I'm into both parts of the movie. If they were if these are just like separate things that had no relation to each other whatsoever, mm-hmm. I think I'd be into them. But but trying to marry them together just I don't know. It doesn't. It. They don't. They don't cohere very well. And what I'm thinking about. What I was thinking about. Like recently when I saw it, I'm just curious to see what the Quentin Tarantino of today would do if he, like, rewrote this movie, or if he, or if he just straight up made this movie again. You th- you think of like this movie, like in terms of like, Tarantino uh, post post uh, hateful eight. Like think about think about everything he does in the hateful eight, and then think about what it would be like if he did that. In this movie, if, if like he wrote that into the screenplay for this movie instead, where there there is a lot of moralizing, everything is gray, there is no black and white, like people don't band together to do the right thing and, and survive or, or, or whatever, like, like that would be that would be a much more interesting movie. And I think would actually kind of link back to that, like the opening, you know, X minutes of the movie a lot better because as soon as like you you lose you like you just lose all of that like all of that like tricky morality uh-huh. that you have in the, like the first half look like, the geckos are obviously bad but one of them is played by George Clooney so like you are kind of into them because he has that kind of charisma and he can he can make you like, he can make you gravitate toward him even though he and he
0: casually switches between like murderous psycho to like hey let's talk about your life a little bit you know yeah, like yeah let's <laughs> like, you know it's, like it's, he, it's weird and it's it's it, he is like the most interesting character in there mainly because of that
2: i think so too and it's like he's you know what does he say at the end
0: i may be a bastard
2: but i'm not a fucking bastard
0: mm-hmm. again another repetitive like dialogue to make him sound badass
2: Right. And that just, that, that drives me nuts. Like, you, not like hearing you talk about it, just realize, like, it's making me realize just how much, how much that doesn't work. And it just feels, it kind of, it's funny because, like, I want to say that this is Tarantino not trying, but, like, this is so early in Tarantino's lifespan as Quentin Tarantino that, like, saying that this is him not trying is not really fair. Like, like, it's, now it's 2017. We have an idea of what it looks like. When Quentin Tarantino half asses something. And yeah. whatever this is, I don't think this is that. I just think that this is something that didn't, you know, he like didn't work out for him as as a writer. Like he like he had X like problems X, Y, and Z that he had to solve with this script, and he couldn't solve them. Like he couldn't solve the the transition from you know, crime genre. not not yeah, only genres, genres. genres
0: but tones too like so yeah. it's, it's it's even a bigger bigger hurdle to pass through and you really have to be kind of i don't want to say experience but definitely someone with more gravitas to pull something like that off so maybe like you said um that could be interesting if he like the idea of like what if he did this today he might have been able to pull it off better i mean i think the the shift of tones in um the Hateful Eight, from like a gritty um, West Western with moral ambiguity, into like straight up Evil Dead or The Thing, with the gross artifacts and the gore and all that stuff. I think that was done more gracefully uh, in The Hateful Eight. So uh, that's a, that's an interesting way of looking at it, and I think that's kind of the Thing. I mean I I remember this being when it came out with my friends and this was like and at that around that time I remember like the genre switch being like a big like original deal like oh my god can you believe he did that and uh, that's the thing with Tarantino is like you love a lot of his stuff but then like as you get older and you start watching the stuff that's like kind of influenced him you start appreciate you start appreciating him like less and less almost at least that's where I come from. What do you guys think?
1: I think, uh, so I, I want to real quick, go back to like, you mentioned Grindhouse, like maybe like five, 10 minutes ago. And, and I want to go back to that and just, I'm, I want to pump the brakes on the Tarantino dissing just a little bit, because there's another part of this equation <laughs> that doesn't add up. And, and it's Robert Rodriguez. Like, you know, he's, yeah. he has made huh. films that I have liked. Um, but he has his limitations as a filmmaker, I think. Uh, and I, uh, It's interesting you brought up Grindhouse because that to me, that whole package is a much more effective experience, not just because they are more experienced filmmakers at the time they made that movie, but they were able to take their own approaches to B-movie exploitation and like how they would do it and they're a completely separate package and you can or i mean it's a similar thing but they're separate movies and you can enjoy each like that's what robert rodriguez would do with an exploitation movie that's what Quentin tarantino would do but the fact that here as we have mentioned before they just get squished together uh I, I just don't think they work and i know a lot of people associate the two together because they're friends but they're they're just they're different fundamentally different filmmakers and uh like their friends and they may have some overlap but it's just kind of an oil and water combination here um so yeah. like it starts with the script certainly but i i also think that as far as like the shift is concerned i don't think Robert Rodriguez is a uh nuanced or delicate enough filmmaker to you know make that transition fully work um so you know, I, th- I think there's a there's a little bit to blame on on both sides here. But yeah, overall, it just doesn't it doesn't work.
2: If you go back and just rewatch like the uh, like, he, like yeah, the level of craft in this movie is just not very high. Like you go back and watch the scene, like the liquor store scene. It's just it just it's so awful. Like I used to think that was such a good
0: scene, too. Yeah, me, too. <laughs> and it just like, annoyed me this time around. It's so weird
2: because because it keeps on like like you
0: know, showing uh, she,
2: John Hawks, like of all people on the floor trying to get into the safe and he does like the fast zoom and then like it cut, it cut like goes to the camera, goes somewhere else and then it, cut, it cuts back to John Hawks and it does another fast zoom and it just like, it's like he, it's well, like the, he the thought. The visual was...
0: style is one of those things that really dates this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's, like it's he... mid nineties all the way through.
2: Oh, it's just, it's, it's painful. It's like, it's like he thought, okay, this is the move. I'm going to do this. This is going to like, define the entire scene and all it really does now is you know like now as as an older person like as a kid as like as a kid like as a young as a as like a a teen i thought this was really cool and like now i just it just kind of makes me nauseous so (laughs) i i don't know like i i really wish i wish that that rodriguez and yes we should not just you know put all the burden on tarantino no no not Uh, at all yeah you're but like Kind of, kind of, to kind of like extrapolate on what you were saying. Like, I kind of wish that they had left more of a breadcrumb breadcrumb trail for us to pick up on before we get into the you know the the vampire half of the movie. I, I feel like you need to. I feel like on some level you need it to be the way that it is. You need there to be no hint of like any kind of vampire action whatsoever. There needs to be no foreshadowing because it does work that it just all of a sudden like everybody's getting killed by vampires and, and like they're, they're just, they're monsters everywhere and it makes no sense. And it's, it's something like out of a tales from the crypt episode, except it expanded mm-hmm. into 108 minutes. And I really want to be into that. Um, and I think like maybe the first time you watch it, like it works. I think I said this on the last cast, but um, some movies are like magic tricks. And once you know, how the trick is done it's just not as effective so when you know maybe you go back and revisit this movie it just doesn't have the same impact because the first time you see it and you you have no idea what's about to happen it does feel kind of kind of impressive and momentous because it completely took the rug out from underneath your feet you had no you have no idea there's no real build into that throughout the movie and i don't know and also you
0: probably hadn't seen better movies that did that before you saw uh, from Dawn till Dawn, which was the case with me.
2: Yeah, I don't. I I can't think. I think of any movie that I'd seen before I'd seen this movie that had like kind of pulled off the same trick. But like, I it's it's kind of a tricky problem to solve because you can't really, you know, you can't tip your hand in the first half, in the pre-vampire part of the movie, to the fact that it's going to become a vampire movie because that would not really respect the fact that the characters have no idea what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like there's like, there's no reason that there's no reason there should be any hint of that, Mm -hmm. of, of how, of like that, that, you know, turn in, in genre and tone, because I mean, a
0: a more, a more straightforward studio film would have started the movie with, um, would have had like a pre-credit sequence that took place at the titty twister, uh, had unrelated characters go in there and start having fun and then vampires attack. And then, like, right when the vampire's about to bite one dude, it would just, like, cut to black and be like, from dusk till dawn. So that that will be your hook, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then the rest of the story could have gone the way that it does. So there's a little bit of bravery there in terms of, like, yes, they're trying to do something different here. And I'm not saying, like, uh, there's a difference between plot and tone. I'm not saying that... Uh, Yeah, it would be kind of a cheap shot to um, kind of cut back and forth between the the crime story and the vampire story, maybe like cut back and forth between the titty twister and what's going on there, or at least like have some like um, foreshadowing or something. I think that would have been cheap and uh, predictable, but uh, they could have figured out ways to like insert that like campy tone in there and maybe make it a little bit more goofy or um i don't know there, there could have been something in there without actually tipping their hat to like actually have the tone fit in like the way that we're talking about like um the world's end the way that it's like the tone is always the same uh and uh, the way that they kind of foreshadow all the stuff that you can see uh it's like there's some mystery going on but like your first guess is not going to be like oh there's going to be like blue-blooded aliens and there's going to be all these crazy fight scenes or whatever but like there's that sense of like mystery and dread and that's kind of missing from from dusk till dawn uh the mystery and dread is is completely uh connected to the crime element the crime story um and there should have been some kind of like build up of that towards uh okay, this shit's about to get weird, you know? Um and it's it's not there. Or just uh,
1: characterizations, honestly. Like yeah. like fleshed out characterizations. If if we cared about the previous events or the people involved with said previous events when it made that shift and people start dying in horrific ways, then I think that genre like a drop on a dime would have worked. But I think the fact that it's just it's all surface level like every single bit of this movie is all surface, no mm-hmm. subtlety, no nuance, no pathos, no nothing like this is, it's just nothing it's just a sleek uh empty vessel of a movie it's exercise
0: in style, yeah, that's, that's all it that's is pretty much for this yeah,
1: yeah so well, uh Andy, do you have any other uh like like any final thoughts before we moved into talking about near dark?
2: I'm excited to talk about near dark, so I'm I'm not going to say anything. All right.
0: Yeah. All right. All right, podcasters, let's get podcasting. Um, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <Zing>. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's let's move on to uh, near dark. i
2: separate your head from your shoulders.
0: Do it, Fast. All right. The times roll. <laughs> <laughs> no. You might as well just kill me, then
2: too.
0: Caleb Colton no longer belongs to our world we give him a week to see if we can call him one of us he belongs to hers but
2: you have to learn to kill
0: he belongs to theirs i don't want to kill he makes a kill tonight and they all belong to the night uh Catherine bigelow's 1987 uh western vampire epic um uh which it's weird to call it an epic but i always get this like uh, I just kind of want to call it that, even though it's like a pretty small-scale film. It's but, lean um,
1: too. Yeah.
0: Lean, maybe, maybe that's why. But it just like feels so much bigger than that for some reason. But anyway, before I get into that, and um, Ryan, why'd you pick it as uh, underrated? I think I mean, this movie's certainly
1: appreciated in certain circles. Um, you know, it's appeared on a lot of top like horror movies, top vampire movies, top like scariest scenes um but i but i still just feel like to a general i mean certainly looking at the like the number of people who've rated this movie versus uh, from dust Till dawn on imdb i just don't think enough people has, have seen this movie or 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 even heard of it um and you know it it it's i wanted to bring it up for a couple reasons it started to there there's been some screenings happening uh, around the country for it um for the american heart association unfortunately Due to the passing of Bill Paxton. I mean, good cause that they're doing those screenings, but that's partially why they've been doing it. Um, and it's one of my favorite performances of his, which we can get into. But I just think that this movie, um, it doesn't, it uh, like From Dust Till Dawn, it doesn't wait <laughs> 50 minutes before shifting its genre, but it certainly does take you by surprise. I mean, look, you know, the title, but there's a buildup
0: of dread of that tone that we were talking about. Right. Absolutely.
1: Like, but it's conveyed with such grace. Like the first 10 minutes of this movie to me has more, has more grace, has more, tells you everything you need to know about the characters, or at least our two lead characters, than the whole, the entirety of from dust till dawn, like I think that uh, it, it's such a tense, weird, sensual, beautiful, scary build-up in these first ten minutes when Caleb picks up um, May at, at outside of a bar, and they they're driving, and there's this back and forth because he can't really like you think a more cynical person and you may think like think this at first watching this movie you might just think it's a bad performance by jenny Wright because mm. she's so all mm. over the place and so like hot and cold and and the way she says like you know like take me home i have to be home before dawn like that's like... what makes
0: it unsettling though exactly because I, well, I if you were too. watching this movie cold you'd be like You'd be like, oh, is this a romance? Is this a Western type of romance movie? But then, like, right. and as then... the relationship progresses, you're like, there's some weird shit going on here, but Absolutely. you can't really put your finger on it. And then, and then when Caleb finally
1: has the change, just that shot through, through the farm, uh, uh, like the sun rising and him just slowly like crawling like almost coming to a crawl because he's he's burning up is just like one of the most eeriest terrifying like burn into my mind sequences and then from there it's it's a it's a chase movie it's a road movie it's a a family movie
0: like a like a family on the Mm. run movie um it's a Maybe that's like, why I keep calling it epic cuz it just it encompasses so many things within this like short right. lean runtime. And the movie yeah.
1: moves like there's no fat on this movie but it gets across these like, you know, these themes of existential dread and like what it you know means to have lived for so long, like is it worth living that long? Um like it 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 delves into a lot of interesting things um in a very like you know great cast Lance Hendrickson uh Bill Paxton who's just so like terrifying in this movie but hilarious at the same time like mm-hmm. he uh like that just that balance of like you're you're laughing at him but it's like man that guy's going to slit your throat at any second and you know won't see it coming um I just so almost yeah. like an
0: uncomfortable, that kind of uncomfortable laughter.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like honestly, it's like watching Heath Ledger's Joker in a way. Like like yeah, I, yeah. I, I like yeah. I think of a villain that like sense. that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I basically I I love this movie. I love just everything about it. It's gorgeous. Um. The score by Tangerine Dream is so oh, yeah. like so good, and it's just so like dreamy and uh just like it's a great mood piece and but without like have like it's not like sparse on dialogue but it doesn't waste its time telling you things that you already know or things that will it will convey to you through imagery
0: there's very little direct exposition there's no like the movie doesn't come to a standing still so that uh, you know, Lawrence Fishburne can give you a, a 20 minute PowerPoint presentation <laughs> about the uh, the vampire rules and the vampire mythology and all that crap, and uh, you just get little bits and pieces of information here and there. And that's what I love about it is like that whole like there's like two lines of dialogue about like Lance Henriksen's character saying, like, I fought for the South, we lost, and now you're like, Oh, this dude is like 300 years old, yeah, it's that easy, you just get like two lines of dialogue, and that's that's brilliant, but um. Yeah, Andy, what's your uh, connection to Near Dark? Had you seen it before, and what would you think about it if you had, like, catching up with it this time around?
2: I mean, it, it's, it was great to watch it again. I watched it last year um, for a a, a woman-in-genre-centric film festival that was done, I believe, by Film Forum. So I, I, I watched it then. I re-watched it um, just because... Why? Why wouldn't you take the opportunity to watch Near Dark again? It's it, it's even better like a year after uh, I last saw it. Like it just gets better every single time that I watch it. I I, I want to talk about the word epic. I think what I think for me actually that that word fits very well. But I think I think for me a large part of it has to do with like with the setting and with kind of the the genre foundation. I mean, this is a vampire movie through and through, but it's also a western movie. Like this this feels very much like a movie with western DNA. And when you talk about when I, when I think about western movies, I kind of think about there's something about like the western that is just inherently epic to me. There's something you know grand about it to me, even when the western in question focuses on something that's very small and personal and and kind of I think uh, the word intimate was used earlier. I think this is a. I think it's a great object lesson for for the the film the filmography of Catherine Bigelow. I think like if you if you if you are if you're like the kind of person who really didn't get into her until watching The Hurt Locker, I, I feel like there are a lot of people who probably didn't really appreciate or you know have any familiarity with Bigelow until mm. The Hurt Locker came out. But if you started there. And you can't fathom how she could have started out by making movies like near dark. Like if you can't make the connection, like connect the dots from near dark to, to her locker, you really need to go back and re, and like, and rewatch this movie. She made this five years after the loveless, which incidentally uh, that movie also played at that film festival I was talking mm-hmm. about. And it's, it's like, it's an interesting progression to go from the loveless, which is, you know, a biker gang movie, to Near Dark, which is, you know, like a, like a vampire gang movie. And then, you, you know, we flat fast forward all the way to 2009 and then even to like 2012 with, uh, zero dark 30. And even though we're talking about completely different genres of movie, we're still talking about movies that are focused, you know, around characters who are kind of like loners or outsiders. And those, that's like a big thing throughout all of her movies. I would say that, you know, in, in the Hurt Locker, Jeremy Renner's character is very much, like on the outside, I would say. The Ralph signs just, in
0: uh, *Strange Days*, definitely. Yeah,
2: yeah, like it just it it's just like the hook throughout her entire filmography, and you have like layers of that in your Dark*. You have Caleb is, you know, at first the outsider to the family of vampires led by uh, led by you know Lance Henriksen's, Henriksen's character Jesse, but th- then if you think about it, in like a wider Uh, like a wider social context the vampires are outsiders like they they're on there they have to exist like in the dark of society it just and it just kind of like and then you know may is kind of not really integrated into the into the group the way that uh severin is integrated into the group so like Mm -hmm. there's just like layers of kind of 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 distance and i think that distance and and kind of uh that that
0: quality of being the outsider those are those and it doesn't romanticize important. yeah and it yeah. doesn't romanticize vampire lore it's it's one of those oh. films that doesn't make it look sexy or hot or it just makes it look like a weird disease uh it's just like it's like one of those films which is i mean it, it's really funny that um after Twilight's success like uh the home video company that released this like made up this poster that made it look so much like twilight and, like, that really pissed me off when that happened. Yeah, I don't know if Blu-ray, you guys remember.
1: It's the Blu-ray cover, right? The Blu-ray cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. It has that, like, this. Twilight cover. And it's like, that's as far away from that as you can get when you wow. watch Near Dark. Because it, it really makes, like, um, it's kind of like, it is a Western. It is a modern Western. But it's not like the, uh, the grand, uh, romanticized Western of old Hollywood. It's like the grimy, dirty... Western of like Sam Peckinpah. It, it, yeah. it feels to me like if Sam Peckinpah ever made a vampire movie, it would probably look like this Like it's just like grimy and dirty and unattractive, but fascinating uh, And incredibly entertaining at the same time like but but yeah, there's nothing about it. That's like these are yeah the, the, the vampires are monsters. They're They're horrible horrible creatures and that, that, that the, the buildup during that like amazing midpoint, uh, bar fight scene, um, which is like, you know, talk about a scene that like ratchets up the tension. Uh, it should be like studied by people who want to see like how you can like create such a long midpoint set piece in the middle of your movie. But, um, but yeah, they, they do, do, they do all these like horrific things, but then at the same time, they are kind of tragic figures, uh. Yeah, you feel you're just like you feel why they're they are where they're at but then at the same time you're like yeah they all should be like destroyed this is crazy especially like I look at um Homer this little like 12-year-old boy that they have which there's like hints here and there to imply that He's actually the oldest one out of all of them. Uh, I think there's this one time when like Ren Lance Harrison calls him an old man. So he's like this, he might be like four or five hundred years old or whatever. And uh, there's like this like loss in that character. And that that kid actor who plays him does a great job of like conveying, like imagine having to tell a kid of like a, a 12 year old kid actor, even an actor to be like, okay you're playing a character who's like who's been living so long that he's like tired and sick of life. And he kind of does an amazing job of conveying that. So like hats off to that
1: dude. Um, They play Russian roulette for fun. Like that's their like fun that they do. They're just like, Hey, you want to play, play Russian roulette for five cards. That
2: is is entertainment to them.
0: Uh, When uh, when you
2: get to that point in your life where like that is entertainment, you really need to rethink like your entire, (laughs) like all of your priorities. I, I just want, I just for the, for the, the people listening at home, on the pod on their podcast app, so I I just said like wow in the background a few moments ago. I just saw I just saw like the Blu-ray art like poster like the like the artwork <laughs> on the poster on the uh, Blu-ray for this.
0: You if, want to print it out and pee on it, don't you? It's
2: it's so so. If you have not seen this movie, like for anyone listening, if you have not seen this movie, the movie that is on the cover of the Blu-ray for that is not the actual movie that Catherine Bigelow made. <laughs> like that, it's it's terrible. There's nothing sexy about this movie except for Bill Paxton and I really think that the only reason that that his character is sexy is just because he has charisma. Yeah, because yeah. he has like just insane levels of charisma. He he like he can make slashing a man's throat to pieces with like, you know, spurs like just energizing and exciting. I mean, I mean and, charisma
0: in that American psycho type of way. Yeah, like yeah. you're like, yeah, this guy is like this kind of beastly vibe to him that might like seem attractive. But then yeah. at the same time, you're like, stay the fuck away from me.
2: <laughs> it's, it's pure, it's pure animal magnetism. He, he also uh, has my favorite line in the entire movie. I think when, when Caleb's sister, you know, meets them and she, she's like, Oh, you guys are up late. And he just goes, we keep odd hours. And I just, <laughs> I
0: love that line. Yeah. And i talking about uh, Bill Paxton. I think between, um, you know, there's like, there's the, You know, of course, as fans, a lot of fans know there's the crazy Bill Paxton performances that you just love because they're so goofy and out there. And then there's the more like subtle, dramatic Bill Paxton performances, like in, you know, the however many season run of uh, Big Love or or stuff, stuff like that, like his dramatic stuff, which is he was he is great with that as well. But like the the goofy Bill Paxton performances, as far as those go, um, the out there Bill Paxton performance. Yeah, this is up there with me for, as you know with like aliens uh it's uh it's a memorable performance it's a it's a goofy and out there performance so he definitely steals the show but that's it's not only because his character is out there and crazy it's it's because his he exudes that like kind of uh effortless uh charm
1: no absolutely it's it again it's that uh this guy's cool but he also could kill me too like that's it's that um he nails that balance um yeah, so it was just, like, it was bittersweet watching it this time around, uh, just, yeah. you know, being like, oh, man, like, not going to get any more performances like that. Because he's popped up uh, as of late in, you know, movies like Edge of Tomorrow and Nightcrawler, where he's done mm-hmm. those, you know, does pretty pretty great, like, you know, I won't go as far as, it's, Edge of Tomorrow's a little scenery-chewing, but, like, Nightcrawler to, like, a legitimately... Really good performance, like a really good. It's folly it's it's, to... it's
0: it's a return of the like the goofy Bill Paxton, like Nightcrawler. Just like he plays such a such a like unremitting sleaze bag, and just mm. he has so much fun with that part. Totally. Well,
1: it's... we also see that character through the eyes of Lou Bloom, who also is like a, he's a sociopath. So it's like I mean, yeah, he is a sleaze bag, but it's just interesting to be like, who's the bigger sleaze bag? Like, just so watching him and Jake Gyllenhaal like play off that is. Was you know it's great to see. Um, did um, just real real quick. You mentioned aliens. Did anybody enjoy the fact when Caleb walks by, by a theater marquee that they're playing aliens in this movie?
2: I did enjoy that.
0: I enjoyed. That <laughs> oh yeah, much. that was that was great. Yeah. And and think about like how different the two like because you can just off the basis of like how loud and out there both performances are, but like the characters between uh, you know the character in aliens and this the character in um. Uh, near dark are actually very different like the well, character absolutely. in aliens is just like kind of like this freaking out like he's scared uh, in aliens like, he's just he's like scared freaking. the whole time and and it's like the exact opposite with near dark He just like has this like cool calm head even if even when he's like getting burnt up and run over by a fucking semi yeah <laughs> and he still has this, like grin on his face like that does not mean anything to this character anymore and in a way that like it the the ending almost like brings the whole tragedy of their lives full circle like like they they you know it's almost like it's almost like they're like we're, okay we'll go out on our own terms mm-hmm. and uh and of course bill paxton characters you know you know he's just gonna go out swinging yeah and uh not like the, the kind of like tragic um situation with the other two but yeah this um one thing I wanted to mention, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like, I made that quick joke about, like, how insane it is that the movie from 1996 feels so unbelievably dated and the movie from 1987 feels like it was made this year, maybe. Um, and I think that's partly because, like, I just feel like this movie has aged incredibly well. Um, I think part of it is because... This style has is kind of like making a comeback now. So it's almost like gone full circle. So we're seeing more and more of these types of like, as far as like gritty, grainy um, horror films that like uh, put more emphasis on mood mm-hmm. and build up than on like the, the gore and the campiness. And also um, that's became more like fashionable uh, these last couple of years, that kind of horror Style And also, um, you know, after like Nicholas Winding Refn made that like really popular as well, like that kind of like the Tangerine Dream score, like that kind of eighty synth yeah. score is kind of making a comeback as well. So it's like all these elements. Um, maybe the film would have, I think the last time I watched Near Dark was like 2002 before this. And I felt like it was even like more dated back then than it is now. Because it feels like that kind of style is making such a comeback that... The film itself is like like more relevant to watch it almost. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Do you think it's it's do you think it's aged really well? Yes, a hundred percent. And yeah. uh, and
1: I think Andy pretty much hit it on the head uh, in his uh, introduction about this movie is because it's because the movie is you know well it's a vampire movie and it's all these genres, but at its core, it is a western. And because it is a western, like westerns tend like movies that have that sort of feel to them that that western. Sort of like when they hold a certain like moral uh quandary or or they're about something, like, like you know, you mentioned this holds up visually more than from Dust Hold On, which it does, but like because from Dust Hold On's not about anything, this movie has things to say, it uh it, it just seems timeless. Uh, and the fact that it's mostly practical effects with some with some like weird superimposed flames at the end, but that was really the only like time that like special effects really like stood out to me as being not super great in this movie but um yeah i think it holds
0: up incredibly well the gore effects in the in the bar scene are so good shockingly realistic they're so good
2: yeah. and what do you think bill, yeah bill paxton getting like his like half his face peeled off when he gets hit by a truck that looks great too yes like everything here surprise it holds up surprisingly well i mean the the fire stuff is a little bit I, you you were kind of getting at this. It was a, like the the fire stuff is a little spotty. Um, sometimes it works actually very well. Like I, I really like the shootout scene in the bungalow, the way that the fire just kind of appears. Mm-hmm. It's not like they, it's not like, you know, you, when you light a coal, when you're lighting, lighting coals for the grill, like it takes time. Like the fire takes time to sort of wrap itself around the coal and kind of build itself up through the chimney. You light a match. It, it, it lights and then it kind of the fire kind of like shrinks around the match tip and then kind of stretches out and starts, you know, expanding like here. It just, it just happens. Like it's, it's chemical. Like they just kind of like literally burst into flames. So I, I think like seeing that in that, that shootout scene, uh, I found kind of like startling the way that, the way that that works within the scene and kind of works within, um, what we know of, of their version of the mythology. I I do agree that like, yeah, you just superimpose flames over, over something. It's, it's not ever going to look very good, but
0: it doesn't look very good now. If you look at like, for example, like the opening of the evil dead remake or something.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just that, that is like, like an effect, like as a, as a aesthetic that just does not hold up well. So I'm not sure that's something I want to hold against the movie just as much as I would want to hold it against uh technology and the effects
1: oh absolutely and it doesn't even really become prominent until like the like final shots of the movie in like the final showdown like that's really one i noticed the most and and i'm glad you brought up the bungalow shootout because i love god i love that shot when bill paxton shoots that shotgun through the window and that beam of light just hits him in the gut and it but it almost he's just like he's still thrilled by it he's like just jacked up and excited. I was like, Oh my God,
0: that's just took one in the gut and you're still going. That, i would watch an fun. entire movie about that character. You like, like his backstory. I, yeah. I hope that never happens. Cause that's like the, the thing now. Yeah. I mean, said, I don't want to like any, any, any executives or whatever, like that might be listening. Don't, don't do that. Like I'm just saying I would watch it. I'm not saying it should happen. I
1: don't think it's a big enough movie. It's for somebody, but you yeah. never know. They, I keep saying, I keep thinking that. And then, studios keep digging deep into whatever ip they can find so i'm just like oh well maybe <laughs> i just don't people
0: do it the, you know I, I, you never know what this shit man people are feeling the bill paxton nostalgia it's like two in the morning you're snorting coke in your in your like executive's office and you're like you know what let's do a near dark prequel about the character <laughs> like, i wouldn't pass them
2: you know what you know what i i you know what i'm i was gonna say like you saying that you would watch that is reason enough for them to try to make it uh, and and maybe it is like i'm a, I'm against the idea but now that you put it that way i'm for the i'm totally for it go ahead i i fucking dare you to find anybody who could do a bill paxton impression in 2017 like what actor out there could possibly like like even come close to matching him like just go go right ahead and embarrass yourselves please yeah
0: like, yeah that, i don't i can't even think of Yeah. No. Okay, guys, let's stop giving ideas to like (laughs) someone in power, someone in power at one of these studios might end up listening.
2: (laughs) Although if you do, if you do want to make that movie, you studios, you can just just send me a check. You can send it to I live I live in that's fine. It's I'm not actually gonna give up my address. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: please email it's us just tweet tweet, <laughs> tweet tweet at over under movies and we'll send you uh uh our addresses for the checks there you go. uh we we will sell ourselves out for a large sum of money i do want to mention that like <laughs> we're talking about like oh no don't do that that'll be horrible and blah blah just pay me and i'll probably be like Fuck it. It's I'm not going to review it. I'm not. I can't review it and like give it a good rating or anything, but you know, I'll take the money.
2: <laughs> I, I will say this right now. I really hate, uh, I hate, um, remakes and reboots and I hate vulturizing and cannibalizing intellectual property, but I love money. I fucking love money. So that's great. Yeah. just
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're like the, uh, there was this great line in uh, David Mamet. Um, what was that movie? Heist where uh yeah. danny DeVito goes like everybody loves money that's why they call it money that's the only thing that stuck in my head from that movie because it was kind of forgettable but yeah <laughs> well, uh, i was well, since just... we're oh yeah, go ahead. ahead i was just gonna say since we're getting on uh david was, Mamet adaptations, yeah. <laughs> do we want <laughs> st-
1: to start thinking about winding <laughs> this down
0: <laughs> yeah 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 let's uh let's start winding this down and uh as far as i'm concerned i would say that um yeah from down down is still like kind of a fun goofy time maybe like to watch in the background and stuff like that but if you haven't seen it for a while um i would just say get ready it. for it just not, don't do yeah, it yeah don't yeah yeah that's there you go take ryan's advice fuck it i'm just gonna do that i'm just gonna say that <laughs> um yeah and and near dark i feel like it has kind of gone around the bend of being like an older 80s movie into being incredibly relevant and fun and it was always well re- it was always fun it was always like a uh, a great vampire movie uh western or whatever else other um genres you want to put on it but it feels like kind of relevant stylistically now so it's it's definitely a movie that i would recommend people to like um seek out if you haven't seen it especially if you're like into that kind of genre yeah uh so uh andy do you have anything like uh else to say i i, I agree
2: actually that from Dust till dawn is fun uh, it's just that it is like, it's a really sloppy, like a very sloppily made movie. Like, I, I, I think I said this earlier, it feels like a, like a Tales from the Crypt episode. That's yeah. you know, extended to 108 minutes. I really want to see like the Tales from the Crypt episode version of that, because I think you could have a lot of fun, like with that, that premise, that, that final shot. Oh. is is so tales from the crypt that like it it kind of oh yeah,
0: yeah. oh yeah, yeah when the demon knight gets a little bit closer like that tales from the crypt movie yeah
2: the demon knight the demon knight references is, is is perfect because like yeah exactly it's it's a it's we think it's one thing and then all of a sudden billy zane is you know fucking punching people through the head yeah. that movie does that that's a that movie is a much better that movie version. does
0: that better and that's the fucking tales from the crypt movie yeah, that's right <laughs> Uh, you know, as far as like the pedigree of the time goes, like between Quentin Tarantino and Tales from the Crypt, um, yeah. And it's it's. I feel like it's. I think did, we didn't mention that, but I think it's too long, too. Isn't it like almost two hours? Um, it's a,
2: yeah. It's about an hour and forty eight ish minutes.
0: Give yeah 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 anyway uh ryan what's your any any last uh things to say oh uh, yeah i guess i'll just wrap up here since they were
1: my picks uh i i do i think i i disagree the most in calling from Dust held on fun uh i i think i think i've already said it before i i you know not to like Push my glasses up against my nose, but I've just never been a big fan of that movie. And it took me like three or four times to get through it the first time uh, that I saw it because I just wasn't really into uh, it. Well, but, well, uh, well,
0: thank, well, thank you for bringing us to the light.
1: Oh yeah, sure, yeah, you're welcome, and, and showing you the <laughs> way that that movie's not super great. And and your dark is like I said, it's 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 gotten a reputation over the years um, for for being a great movie, and uh, it is. So uh, you should definitely. Listen to what you've heard and uh, definitely seek it out. It's it apparently uh, most of the DVDs and Blu-rays of the movie are out of print, so they're not super easy to find. But I believe it's streaming on some service, and if you're still lucky enough to live near, near a video store, rent it.
0: So yeah, let's uh, let's wind down this episode of uh, Over Under Movies. Um, thank you for listening to this episode, and uh, we want to thank. Uh, Rodrigo Perez and The Playlist uh, for hosting the podcast and also uh, Mubi, which is our, our sponsor. Um, you can find us on um, the playlist.net uh, uh, on the podcast section. You can find us on SoundCloud. We are at, on The play- Playlist Podcast account of iTunes. And also you can uh, like us on Facebook on facebook.com slash overundermovies. And we are on Twitter at OverUnderMovies. Uh, signing off, this is Oktage Kozak. I'm a film critic and contributor for The Playlist. Uh, dvd talk and bayouspray.com
1: signing off is ryan oliver i'm a contributor here at the playlist you can find me on this podcast as well as the playlist podcast
2: and this is andy crump and i am also a contributor for the playlist and i also write words for birth birth movies death and paste magazine
0: awesome so before we go we do want to uh, as usual tease uh, the titles of the next episode, so you can catch up. And this is going to be a little bit more of a delicate situation because I do want to. Uh, we're going to do an episode on So Bad It's Good films. And me being a big fan of that type of movie, uh, I kind of imagine that episode as being kind of a public service announcement about uh, what really qualifies as a So Bad It's Good movie and what's made like a shitty movie on purpose. Um, so the underrated pick is going to be uh, the 1989 action schlock uh, buddy cop uh, masterpiece called Samurai Cop. And uh, the overrated pick is going to be the very first uh, Sharknado movie. But uh, generally, we're just going to be talking about like the difference between genuine so bad it's good movies and just movies that are made crappy on purpose that people think are so bad it's good so yeah my my uh biggest warning while teasing these would be that we like recommend people to watch these movies thinking that they're going to be watching something good so that we can talk about them later we know these movies are crap like we know they're horrible so just watch them with that perspective (laughs) and please don't like don't come back at me with like i watched samurai cop and what a piece of shit why did you recommend this to me um you have to be in a certain type of mood, uh, preferably after a joint or two. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking, we're going to, we're going to have a fun episode on so bad. as good movies, uh, next time in over under movies. And, um, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon. Bye.